Our scripture reading this morning is Galatians 5, 13 through 25. If you'd like to follow along, uh, there's a blue Bible in, in the pew in front of you. Galatians 5, 13 through 25. This is on page 975. Hear the word of the living God. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. This is the word of the living God. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you give us your word. You explain to us what you have done for us and what you are doing for us through our Lord Jesus Christ. You enumerate the richness of the gospel and all of your accomplishments. And you enable us, Lord, more and more to believe in the great work you have done and that you are doing. And you finally will complete in that last day. We pray that you would... Encourage us and build us up and cause us all the more, Lord, to live out the new life that we have in Christ Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> I was sitting with a couple of friends years ago, and I was, this was at a, a different city, and I was talking about the wonder of how uh, TV, radio, and now phones, everything comes through the air and it just comes out on your device. You know, I just was commenting on how bizarre that is and how amazing it is, and I have no idea how it works. Well, these two guys just suddenly start telling me how it works because they were both electrical engineers. <laughs> of course, I understood nothing that they were saying about algorithms, and I mean, they were talking about how complicated it was from the first radio signal that went out, you know, and how uh, detailed and complex all of it is. But if somebody did that with uh, medicine, you know, the, uh, uh, Daniel could describe the 
a part of the body in a procedure, and you wouldn't even know what he's talking about, you know, if he's using the technical language. An engineer could do that. Even a CPA could do that, right? They talk in language that you can't even grasp. Don't, you don't have the terminology. And I think that this sometimes happens to us when you talk about or we hear about uh, walking by the Spirit or putting to death the deeds of the body, uh, what the old man is, what the new man is, how it all works. It, we, we hear these words, but to really know exactly what that means and exactly how do I live that out in my life? Uh, what are the specifics of that? If you're like me, I, I've, I've had a struggle knowing precisely what's intended by these terms, and then how do I live that out in my life? Um, so I'm going to try to help a little bit along those lines, and we're going to first talk about the flesh that we hear a lot about right here. What is he talking about when he says the flesh? And this will also coincide with terms like sin and terms like the old man, the old uh, life, and, and I'm, I'm going to use a larger term, the old life, but flesh and old man are said to be dead or they said to be crucified and yet you're also supposed to kill them and crucify them and like well am I dead or not and then are you talking about one part of me that's dead and another part of me that's alive what are you talking about here um, you may not have any of those questions I have them okay so I'm going to talk about them <laughs> so first I'm going to talk about our condition before we came to know Christ and all this is will help because we're we're talking about these very things in this passage, so we need to give a little background. <clears throat> so uh, the, we're told that we were in the flesh regularly in Scripture. We were in the flesh. And flesh means at this point our sinful condition before we knew Christ, our sinful condition as we were alienated from God. So it's a, an overall sinful condition, and all of our connections to sin, to Satan, uh, our brokenness, our slavery to sin, the dominance and rule that sin had over our lives. So when we say flesh, we're not just talking about a part of us. We're talking about a whole condition that we were in with all of its connections, so John can say in 1 John 5, 19, that the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. And he means by that everyone outside of Christ is not safe. They're not neutral. They're not uncommitted, even though they may not know it, even though they may not recognize it. He says every single person outside of belonging to Christ belongs to somebody else. Every one of them. They are under the power of the evil one. We're told in Ephesians 2 that this power works within us. It's active within us. We're told in uh, 2 Timothy 2, the end of that chapter, that we were under the power of Satan. Well, actually, it says we were uh, bound to do his will even. And you think, me? Doing the will of Satan? you got to be kidding. No, if you're doing your will... If you're doing your thing as opposed to God, you're doing Satan's thing. That's all he wants. Just, just do your thing. Ignore God. Do what you want to do. 
then you are owned by him. So you see, to be in the flesh describes the whole life that we had before we knew Christ. And so Scripture speaks of changing our spiritual geography, you might say. We've used that term before. So in the first of Colossians 1, he says, you've been transferred out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. That's already happened, okay? You were in the domain of darkness. You're no longer in the domain of darkness. You weren't in the kingdom of Christ, his dear son. Now you are in the kingdom of his dear son. So there's been this movement from belonging to this realm. Now you belong to a different realm with new connections, a new connection and relationship to God that you didn't have before, a new connection and relationship to his people, and more specifically in this passage, a new relationship to sin. And I want to describe that now in in terms of this moving from, from one place to another. How can we think about our relationship to sin, our relationship to the flesh, as he says here? So one key text here is verse 24, okay, where it says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And everyone should be thinking, I don't think so, (laughs) right? um, Maybe this morning had some passions and desires, or this week, that weren't so good. But what this, this isn't a lie. This is real. What does it mean that we have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires? It's very specific what we've crucified. The flesh with its passions and desires. So if that means I've crucified everything inside of me and it no longer has any influence on me, it's not even has, exerts uh, no power over me, uh, we, we would say, well, that's just not true. But it does mean something that's vital and critical for us, that we have crucified. And the verb tense means it's been done, and it stays that way, and it has ramifications to the present. Right up to now, that's the case. It's never changed, and it won't change. We have crucified the flesh. Now, I would, I would give you a, an illustration that I hope will be helpful in picturing what's happened in your movement from this location to another location, from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son, what's happened in regard to sin in your life, the flesh? Because I think this is, this is where I've tended to get really hazy and had struggles for years in figuring out what this means. <clears throat> so I'd like for you to think of sin in your life before in the uh, domain of darkness as having this kind of life force in you connected to Satan and spiritually in some way because it says that he works in us and we're owned by him and that this kind of life force of sin had tentacles that reached into every part of your life. So no part of your life is unaffected by these gruesome, ugly, destructive tentacles of sin. doesn't mean you're as wicked as you could be, doesn't mean you didn't do some good, all that kind of thing, but it does mean that sin had you, 
and sin influenced you in every part of your life. Now, when he says that the flesh has been crucified, think of it this way. It's as though, well, let me give an illustration. My uh, daughter, as I I think some of you know, uh, when she got married years ago, they moved into a double wide that was on the property, okay? (laughs) Had a good bit of land, and they just wanted to be out on the land. A lot of interesting things would happen in the double wide. Like one night, somebody, something was in the bathroom. They just knew something was in the bathroom, making a racket. And so, of course, Anna Kate is kicking Bryson out of bed. You're the man. Go in there and find what it is. He didn't want to go in the bathroom and find what it is, you know. Who knows what it is? We goes in the bathroom, and there was nothing there, but the sound still, and the whole place is shaking. And he goes outside, and one of the horses was scratching his behind on the uh, (laughs) double wide. That's just a day in the life up in Jacksboro, Texas, okay? But another day early on, uh, one of their dogs, what's the... What's the real bad dog that hurts people so badly? Pit bull. Yeah, I'm sorry. <clears throat> their pit bull got a hold of their uh, Labrador by the neck. Okay, she did. She was inside the trailer. Here's this. She described it as a screaming. Okay, a, just screaming of this dog. She goes outside. Pit bull has that one by the neck, and he won't let go. She, being the hunter she is, goes inside, gets her shotgun, aims it right at the dog, but then shoots up. Bam! That was enough for the dog. I better let go, right? And he let go of of the other dog, and the dog was recovered and all. But I think this is a great illustration of what uh, God does with sin. You might say that that center of sin, of, of power and life, was smashed in the head. It's as though instead of shooting up, she smashed the dog's head with the butt of her gun and he let go. Sin had to let you go in that sense. It won't dominate you like it did. It will not and cannot control you like it did. Its teeth, you might say, have been taken off your neck. That's good news. That's a major change. Now, Think of it then, this destructive life force that has been smashed, but those tentacles are still in every part of your life in some way, but they don't have the strength that they did have. They've become kind of brittle. They have jagged edges. They're going to be hard to remove. They love to continue their influence in your life. And you have to work hard to continue to get rid of them and to cultivate a new life that begins to flow in your members. But that's a good way to think it's crucified, yet I have to actively crucify it. See, it's put to death. It's been smashed. It will not dominate me as it did. And now I can begin to clean up those terrible pieces that are still in my life. So much brokenness that we still bring to the table. So much that we've still got to discover about ourselves, as uh, Ryan referred to. So much that God has to disclose to us and we put to death progressively in our lives. So that's the first thing to see that in the past I have been 
crucified. Paul puts it like this in Romans 6. Your old man was crucified. I like to think of that or translate it as your old life was. was. Even though literally it's man, it communicates something kind of weird to us, this part of me. No, it's more holistic. My old life was crucified, and now I'm living a new life. And he says there, so that you're no longer enslaved. So crucified doesn't mean it doesn't exist in any form, like there's no presence of sin in your life, but you are a totally different person with a totally different relationship to sin because these living tentacles that controlled you have been broken as to their life force, and now you can go on the cleanup, and you never could before in this way. So first of all, we've been crucified. We, our old life has been put to death. We're no longer slaves. We're no longer under the power of Satan like we were. What good news. We've got to know that. We've got to believe that. To such an extent, number two, Paul says in Romans 6, 11, and I had to inject this into our passage uh, or just at this point, he says this, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. That's how I'm supposed to think of myself. It's one thing to have been crucified, but I've got to believe that. I've got to live that out. I've got to live as one who has the energy from knowing I don't have to give in to sin anymore. I don't have to give in to habits. And it may take a long time. It may be years of difficult struggle and failure. But I'm not going to be subject to sin any longer. I don't have to be. Because it has been crucified in me. And I'm to consider myself dead to sin, but now I'm alive to God. Actually, in that, in, in, uh, that same chapter, when Paul says that we should present ourselves before God, he says, present yourself before God as, as those alive from the dead. So even when you present yourself, as you come before him, you're really not supposed to say, Lord, I present myself to you. I'm just a dead sinner, lifeless as I've always been. I'm not, you know, whatever. No, actually, you're to present yourself, Lord, thank you by your grace. I present to you someone that's been raised from the dead. I present you someone whom you have taken me as you've joined, if you, as you've been joined to Christ, you've been taken through his crucifixion in a sense. Joined to his crucifixion that has actively brought you from death to life. And so I'm, I'm a living being resurrected from the dead. I think that's what it means in Romans 12, that famous verse where it says, uh, present yourselves as living sacrifices to God. Living in the sense of, You were dead, now you're living. Present yourself as a living sacrifice to him. So we are to think of ourselves as that way, uh, that we have uh, put, that that we are dead to sin. So having put death, sin to death, having now counted myself as one dead, I am now caught in this incredible struggle that he pictures in verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh. 
These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now, this, this may be a little bit uh, abstract, or you may not be familiar with this passage, but some of you are, and I just need to at least mention it. Romans chapter 7, famous chapter of Romans 7, when Paul talks about this being in control, uh, being controlled by sin, and he says there something like this, that I cannot do what I want to do. But I want to point out a really big difference in the two passages. In Romans 7, he speaks of that life. It's a way of life. He says, I never do anything right. He says, I never have the ability to do right. He says, I keep doing evil. I never stop. And he says, I'm captive to the force of sin. So he's talking about life in the domain of darkness. That's the way I live. I just always sin. And you'll notice also in Romans 7, no mention of the Holy Spirit. Now that's mentioned in Romans 8, but there's no mention of the Holy Spirit. And he has just talked about Romans 7, how when the law came in and it met my ugly heart, the law is beautiful and good and right and true. You know what happened to me? Did I get better and better? No, I got worse and worse and worse. That's how bad I am. That's how sinful I am. You bring the law without a change of heart, and I just get worse. And it, it's, I'm, I'm a tar baby for sin. I just, it just clings to me, and I can't stop doing it. That's what he's talking about in Romans 7. That's not the case here. The Spirit has invaded the world of the flesh. Okay, The Spirit has invaded and smash the power of sin in our lives. And so we are warring the spirit against our old life of the flesh, warring against these broken but still present tentacles. Now, this last phrase applies to both things. For instance, it it says the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, the desires of the spirit. And he says these, flesh and spirit, are both opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. It works both ways. So you're seeking to walk in the spirit. Those tentacles still slow you down. Okay, They still hinder you. That's, that's why when you decide that you're going to pray that... Sometimes it's hard to pray. Why don't you just have this flow of love and desire? You can't wait to get home to pray today, just like you can't wait to get home and watch the British Open, right? Is there any difference at all in your feeling about those two things? Or you've got a favorite TV show, Mad Men or whatever that you watch, and you, and you binge on it, right? You binge because you, you hadn't watched it for several years, and, and then this summer you just like watch six hours at a time, you know, and then the next night you watch it again. Ever prayed like that? Novel? How about a novel? Ever got caught up in a novel, stayed up late reading a novel or a book or watch a TV show? Do you stay up late watch, um, praying just because you just can't get enough of it? You just can't. You know what that is? Tentacles. Tentacles. They don't own you, but they constantly are there that you've got to put to death and fight against your whole life. It's like me in dreams when I'm being chased by somebody, and it's so frustrating. I wish I could just 
wake up or know in my dream, oh, it's because I'm dreaming. But I never know I'm dreaming. You know, it's real. The thing is, you can't, I can't, maybe you can, maybe you can, I have flown in dreams, okay, but, but I can't run fast in dreams. I just can't. I just, it's just like molasses, you know, I'm trying to run. I think, why can't I run? I was fast when I was a kid. Why can't I, you know, I can't run. Well, of course, later I realized it's because I'm asleep and my legs really aren't moving, you know, and my brain knows my legs aren't moving. So in my dream, my legs aren't moving, you know, and that's, well, you will feel that way over and over and over in every aspect of your spiritual walk. Don't think that it's unusual. Don't think that you're not a believer. You've got these leftover tentacles that are clinging to you, and they come out painfully as a bloody mess sometimes. It's hard to put sin to death. But that is what we are about. And that's why Paul would actually use that language in Colossians and Romans. By the Spirit, if you're by the Spirit putting sin to death, then you are alive. That's what he says. He says you will live, but he means that means you're in the middle of life. You're living, and you will live. Not if you have no struggle, but if you're in that bloody battle of putting sin to death in your life, and it hurts, and it's hard, hey, you're alive. You're living it's an evidence that the Spirit has hold of you because the Spirit is always against the flesh and the flesh is always against the Spirit. But this last phrase works both ways so that when you're after the flesh, the Spirit is against that. This is really precious news. You will not, by God's grace, you will not be able ultimately and finally and continually to sin anymore if you're owned by the Spirit. He will not allow it because the Spirit wages war against the flesh. Isn't that sweet? The Spirit's not going to roll over and die. He is the new owner of this territory. He has his new uh, he, he has his place. He has delivered you to a new kingdom with new relationship, a new ownership, a new power in your life to live in Christ Jesus. And so that's why again and again in this passage, it says that live by the Spirit. Live out of the resources of the Spirit. Live trusting the Spirit. Notice it, it says it several different times in ver, uh, different ways in verse 16. Walk by the Spirit. Verse 18, if you're led by the Spirit. Verse 25, live by the Spirit and then walk by the Spirit. This is a different walk and this, this means keep in line with the Spirit. Uh, J.I. Packer has a book entitled Keep in Step with the Spirit, which is a good translation. So line yourself with the Spirit. These all underscore the fact that it is only the Spirit that will enable me to obey God. The law itself, by itself, meeting just my sinful heart, will, I will never obey it. I will only get worse. And that's some of what he means uh, when he says in verse 18, uh, you, if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under law. 
You're not under law's condemnation, and you're not under law's power to just show you how bad you are anymore. You're now in a new realm. You're now in the Spirit. And after he describes the fruit of the Spirit, he says, verse 23, against such things there is no law. Because these have to do with the, what the law was really after. The law was, points toward love, as he himself quotes in this passage, that uh, the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And really the fruit of the Spirit here is an exposition of that, just an enlargement of what that love means. And so when you're living out the Spirit, the law says, I ain't got nothing else to say. You know, that's it. I mean, you're, you're fulfilling me. You're, you're living me out. I mean, this is, this is what I'm about. I'm pointing people to live out this love. And, and the law has nothing to say against a life that, that lives out the Spirit in this way. So what happens to us is as we live by the Spirit, it's not just that we're putting sin to death, but sin really begins to die when you begin to cultivate the life of the Spirit. It's by the Spirit that we must live. And so we recently had a couple of the ladies in our church. They were in the first service. It's Sherry and Gail. While Kay was gone to, uh, while we were gone to her father's funeral, they came over and planted some flowers. And also along our sidewalk, we had uh, tilled up and, and had some flowers that had already died in this line in the sidewalk. And they put in some sweet potato vines. And I'd never really watched those guys go, but they put these little bitty vines uh, in, you know, maybe three feet apart, and right now you should come green and purple. They just line this thick and just perfectly line both sides, the potato vines. That's a great picture of what God's doing in your life. He's replenishing you, and so instead of these noxious uh, weed, this noxious, destructive weed of sin, he is replacing that with, you could describe it as an orchard if you want, or watermelon vine, or corn, or whatever you want to describe it as that gives you that picture. But he's replenishing you and making you fruitful as he describes here in verses 22 and 23. And this is nothing less than God's life in you. God is patient. God is kind. God is good. God is infinitely Joyful. God is infinitely whole and, and uh, full of shalom. And he grants these things to us. And so this beautiful rescue of your life so that less and less will you show forth the tentacles of verses 19 through 21. And more and more you'll show the rich verdure and beauty of these description in verses 22 and 23. Mainly, it's love and how love looks, that love has a joy about it and a wholeness. Love has patience with people. Love is kind to people. Love ultimately controls itself to do good to people. That's how love acts because it's like God. This is God's life in you. This is really no different than what he says earlier in Galatians 2 where he says, "Is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. Now, by that, he means it's no longer just me, you know, just sinful tar baby Darwin failing at the law. It's no longer just me. It's Christ in me now. 
His life is in me. The life of God is in me by the Holy Spirit. And he is making me fruitful in a whole new way. And so there are two aspects. I just mentioned these in closing. To our walking in the Spirit or walking by the Spirit or being led by the Spirit. One is pretty obvious that it means a helpless dependence upon the Spirit. That every day you're aware, I will get nowhere apart from the Holy Spirit. I will do nothing apart from the Spirit. It's Jesus' words, apart from me, you can do nothing in John 15. Well, here's the vital link. This is what makes you fruitful, is the life of the Spirit. But I would attach to that dependence an expectation as well. True faith expects that the Spirit will give you new desires. In fact, the way Jesus puts it in John 7, and we've talked about this before, He says, he who comes to me and believes in me from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And John goes on to say he's talking here about the spirit that was going to be given. And so it's not, it means the spirit comes into the deepest part of your life, where your motives are, where your desires are. And he changes. We used to, I used to look for uh, crawfish in the creeks behind and little turtles and, uh, and, and lizard, well, salamanders, I think is the official word. But, um, and inevitably what would happen, you, you pull up a big rock, it's really muddy, and then you wait for the stream to just flow down, and there's the crawfish. <laughs> and you, you know, we catch a turtle or whatever. But that, I, just, that was, I saw that hundreds of times as a kid, watching the clean water sweep away the muddy water. And that's what, your, your and my water was pretty polluted, okay? Like Jesus talked about, out of the heart come the, all the evil. It's not from the outside, it comes from within. So as I've said before, uh, we say keep your mind out of the gutter. What happens when your mind is the gutter, right? That's our condition. But <clears throat> he, puts, he puts this fountain, this spring of clean water that begins to sweep through our lives. So less and less muddy, polluted water, more and more clean, fresh water of the Spirit bearing fruit. But I have to know, trust, expect that he will do this great work in my life. And then when he says keep in step with the Spirit, this points to content. It points to the reality that the Spirit will bring me to God's word and teach me God's word and work God's word in my life. Because a sister passage to be filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 5 is Colossians 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So those are basically the same things. And so the whole Old Testament is ultimately about love. And so one of the things that you and I will be doing as we come to the Word is to be shaped in love, whether we're in Old Testament, New Testament, and to be looking for that, to be asking that question, Oh, Lord, shape me so that I love you. Shape me so that I love others and I live out this abundant fruit that the Spirit will bring about in my life. So it means necessarily a vital relationship to the Word as the Spirit brings this Word to bear in our lives. That's a a critical part of walking by the Spirit. And isn't it wonderful where he says, use your freedom to serve others. This love that is made 
apparent in our life through the fruit of the Spirit is a restoration of your humanity. It's your freedom. It's the goal of the Spirit. It's the goal of your freedom, and it's the very measure of your freedom. The more you walk in love, the more you are showing, I'm a freed human being. I've been set free by the grace of God. Let us pray. Lord, bless us that we will walk in the Spirit, that, Lord, we will live out this precious new character. Thank you that you have set us free. Thank you, Lord, that you've caused us to be dead to sin and alive to God. We worship you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.